Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hey, Dan. I'm Lindsay. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. We, we are in a winter wonderland in early, the very start of November as we record this. So much snow in So Coeur much snow. It just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Like they said, oh, it's going to snow. It's like five inches. I think it was 70 degrees like a week and a half ago. What? Now snow. I know, but it's going to go away quick too. Uh, I have two quick things to say before our stories today. So much story. And uh, then Lindsay has a very important announcement for this year's annual giving tree. So don't miss that. Woohoo! Uh, real quick, sorry I butchered the pronunciation of La Petasola a few weeks ago. I have no idea why I started throwing an extra S in there. I did go back and listen because <laughs> I'm like, I think I knew how to say that. And I was like, what was I saying? Uh, so I, I did look it up. I did write the correct, correct pronunciation guide into my notes and then said something else. So La Petasola. Sometimes when I try to extra hard to get a word right that I'm not like familiar with, mm-hmm. then I think I get a little extra anxious about screwing it up, which increases the odds that I do screw it up. Right, because you become so hyper-focused on it yep. and you're like, wait, which way was the right way? So despite my best efforts, uh, did mess that up. So sorry if it took, the, took anybody out of the story. Uh, and then this week's merch drop, uh, better posed as a question. What if aliens really did visit us for the first Thanksgiving in October of 1621? And if they did, what if they never left? Oh, my. Head on over to check out the new Alien Pilgrim tea and poster. Uh, loving the three red eyes, shiny medallion, and the classic Pilgrim hat. Uh, check out the cool artwork at badmagicmerch.com. I want everyone to buy it and then wear it. I hope that you have like a conservative family that doesn't appreciate the spoops. And then you wear that to Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> just like a really uptight family that's you like, have a family oh. of, of pilgrims <laughs> that just a puritanical family like uh, they still dress like that if you're a wasp oh my <laughs> god it's so great <laughs> all right let's hear let's hear about this uh annual giving tree yes and before i dive into that just as a, a quick aside um as you all know 
November, we always do a veteran charity. So this month, just as a small reminder before I dive into the Giving Tree information, uh, this year we are donating to the United Heroes League. And if you'd like to learn more about that or how you can get involved, please visit unitedheroesleague.org. And now, and now, and now, uh, it is time for the fourth annual Bad Magic Giving Tree. I cannot believe this is the fourth year of doing this. I was recalling all the years and what they felt like, and this year feels so awesome. I'm very excited. Uh, it's our chance to collectively give back to our own community. It's such a cool thing that we do every year. makes me so happy. And uh, like all previous years, we will be using the December Patreon donation to kick this off. We estimate that that amount will be about $15,000 as in years past. If fans would like to also donate, that's kind of how this all happened. We mm -hmm. were going to do it. And then the first year fans were like, well, I want to help. And so then it grew to be so much bigger than what we ever thought it could be. Um, if you are wanting to donate the only way we're accepting donations is through amazon gift cards that's how we will shop for the families it's the most effective way uh and you can do that by going to amazon.com and then you know buying a gift card i'm sure you've done this before when it asks whom you're sending the gift card to you're going to enter in the email address giving tree 2022 the numbers giving tree 2022 at badmagicproductions.com and that's how you'll send money we'll receive it and then we'll apply it to the giving tree and as in years past for every donation that you guys make dan and i personally not part of the patreon money just of our own money will match dollar for dollar whatever you guys donate up to fifteen thousand dollars and we're excited and proud to be able to do that and then the next part possibly the most important part for those of you who are looking for some help this holiday season. Uh, here's how you become a recipient of the bad magic giving tree in years past. It's been this like chaotic thing, like send in an email and we'll pick names from a hat. And that's a really awful place to be in. Having been a kid on the receiving end of a giving tree. I know that when we were entered into that, we just automatically got help. So sitting and waiting to find out if you've got help is not helpful if the answer is no, because you need to find other resources. So this year, we're going to switch it up a little bit. What you're going to do is on Monday, November 21st at 12 noon Pacific time, you will go to badmagicmerch.com. There's going to be a large banner about the giving tree. You're going to click on that and it's going to link you out to an application. We're using SurveyMonkey, so it's going to look like a survey, but that's your application. You're going to go there. You're going to fill it out and then boom, you're in. Now we can only take 50 families. So we're really asking you to be honest with yourself and with our community about your needs. And if you happen to go to the website and you click on it and it says this survey is full, that means that we've already got our 50 families. So there's no way to apply without receiving help. I hope that mm -hmm. that is fairly clear. So again, that is Monday, November 21st at 12 noon Pacific time. That's when it will open. And the, the application will be open for 50 families or until November 26th, whichever comes first. And and that's it. Yep. Then, uh, uh, I hope you know, that's all clear and concise. And look to social media. If you have questions, look to social media, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Ask Out of Death Podcast, and then just read the episode description. Yeah, it's, it's too lengthy of a description for us to keep hitting it show after show. Yeah. So go back, listen to that part of the episode, and there you go. Two uh, thumbs up. Uh, how much horror do you have for us today? I have two hoes. Two hoes. <laughs> I do. I have two great stories. Uh, my first story will take us in honor of like Veterans Month. We're going to go to a veteran's home, uh, you know, like a sort of like a nursing home kind of facility yeah, type thing, but yeah. for veterans. Oh, yeah. We have a very interesting 
poltergeist, maybe. Maybe it's haunted. A very interesting little, a very wild, cool, and interesting tale there. And then our second story, I'm so scared of this. I had such a hard time sleeping. A possible UFO sighting. And it feels like there's a pretty broad amount of confirmation on it as well. Okay. It's weird. Okay, very, very cool. I'm excited to hear those stories. Um, I have a giant story and a normal size story. First story is just so weird. Not the scariest story I've come across uh, for me, but something new and fun to talk about in the world of what if. What if you're being haunted, not by ghosts, but by someone living in the same space as you, Oh, but in a different time, not a different place, just different time, like a parallel dimension that somehow intersects with this dimension, uh, historical timeline-wise, like this looping time. Okay. Someone living in the past, but also living while you're living. It's a weird concept, and it'll make more sense as I get into it once I tell the story. Okay, okay. I'm confused, but I like it. Yeah, and the second story, uh, much more traditionally scary, one of Hawaii's most haunted homes, or at least it used to be before it was demolished, the Kaim- Kaimuki, the Kaimuki house. Kaimuki. Kaimuki. Oddly, uh, both stories of mine today have a character in them with the last name of Cummins. <gasps> Same spelling and everything, but no relation that I know of. That you know of. Look at these cute socks. These came in a Halloween box from fans April and Brandon Park. They're like little like Aww. mummy monsters. They're so cute. Thanks, April and Brandon. Thanks, guys. And also thanks for the dots and the Tootsie Rolls. <laughs> and thanks, everyone, that uh, sends them in that don't get named. Sometimes in the hustle and bustle of just uh, organizing everything, you know, we, we don't always have the name when the sh- Sock is presented. Well, and quite honestly, a lot of y'all yeah. are sending them from Amazon. And yeah, so we you, don't you can't trust Amazon to put that gift True. receipt in there. <laughs> totally. Okay, a little bit of setup. Then I'm off and telling this odd, odd tale. In the mid-1980s, in the rural English village of Dodelson, a young economics teacher named Ken Webster and his even younger wife, Deborah, found themselves caught up in a very atypical and ongoing paranormal experience. What started off as a confusing encounter soon became frightening and then transitioned into one of the most unusual and intense existential experiences I've ever come across. It was an experience that challenged everything the Websters thought they knew about the world around them. Time now for the tale of the Dodleston messages. In November of 1984, Ken Webster picked up his friend Nikki from the train station. They taught at the same school together, and Nikki was just returning from volunteering in Africa and needed somewhere to stay for a few weeks. Ken and his wife, Deborah, a newly married couple, uh, just moved into a small cottage and were currently doing renovations. They made room for Nikki and took her up on her offer to help with painting the place. That night, all three of them were hard at work, each focused on painting a section of one of the walls when suddenly Nikki stopped what she was doing. She'd come across what seemed to be a strange-looking footprint on the wall, and she couldn't for the life of her figure out how it had been placed where she saw it. It had been placed at such an odd angle and so high up on the wall. Also, although it did look like a human foot, it had six toes. When Nikki asked about it, Ken said it was there when he and Deborah moved in, and they had no idea how it got there. He asked Nikki to paint over it, and she did. Nice, thick coat. But after they all retired to bed for the evening, Ken got up to use the bathroom and was surprised and a little disturbed to find a fresh footprint had reappeared right where Nikki had painted over it. So he painted over it again. This reappearing footprint was the first in a long line of highly unusual paranormal phenomena. Two days later, the footprint now staying covered up, the three friends awoke to find that all the cans of cat food in the house had been neatly arranged into a pyramid overnight. Ken and Deborah first thought that someone, maybe Nikki, was playing some sort of practical joke on them. Nikki assumed Ken or Deborah had done it, but no one would admit to being the prankster. 
Ken did have a musician friend named Johnny that had, that had access to the house. He sometimes came over when no one else was home to practice guitar, but only during the day when Ken and Deborah were at work. Ken was 99.9% certain that Johnny would never sneak inside his house in the middle of the night. Two nights later, he'd become 100% certain Johnny wasn't the one who made the pyramid, nor anyone else he knew. He, Deborah, and Nikki had been sitting in the living room for a couple of hours when they entered the kitchen to find another tower. This time, it was made of an assortment of different items. Cat food, two-liter uh, two lemonade bottles, and kitchen towels. The items were all balanced on top of each other precariously in such a way that would have been nearly impossible for anyone to achieve. All three of them now very uneasy. Because they'd all been in the kitchen earlier in the evening and then all been together in the living room, they knew that one of them hadn't done it. They were also certain they would have heard someone else come in to do it. Had someone else been hiding in the house for several hours at least? Had someone been breaking into the house and hiding just to try to scare them with weird food arrangements? That seemed highly unlikely. But what else could it be? They weren't ready to look towards paranormal possibilities quite yet. Now the trio became afraid to enter the kitchen. What would they see next? They tried to convince each other and themselves that nothing nefarious was going on. Just someone had to be messing with them. They all now tried to ignore the two strange arrangements of items in the kitchen and the reappearing footprint that seemed content now to stay under the latest coat of paint. And they decided to go about their normal lives. For a short while, they didn't encounter anything else unusual or hard to explain, and life went back to normal. A few weeks into things calming down, Nikki mentioned a project she was working on for school, and Ken suggested she use a word processor. The school he worked at had a number of BBC microcomputers, old forerunners to the modern desktop computer. The school often loaned one or two of the machines out to teachers and Ken offered to get one for her. And the machine was delivered to his cottage the next day. And here's where the story starts to get really weird. One Sunday evening in December, Ken, Nikki, and Deborah left to visit a friend for a few hours. When they arrived home, Ken noticed the computer was turned on. He was surprised. He was positive. He'd shut it off before they left. Ken sat down in front of the computer and saw a file on the screen named KDN. He thought it probably wasn't one of Nikki's files because she usually named all her projects with individual letters. Curious, Ken clicked open the file and started reading. Ken Deb Nick. True are the nightmares of a person that fears. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, turn toward the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for this shall be your redeemer. By now, Deborah and Nikki were standing behind Ken, also reading the screen, equally as perplexed. They all had questions. They all also felt a general sense of unease. Who was messing with them? Ken now returned the word processor to the school since Nikki was leaving to visit her family for Christmas and wouldn't need the machine after that anyway. After the holidays, she'd be moving into a new place of her own. The machine was now out of the house, but the strangeness doesn't stop. The day before Nikki was due to leave, she walked into the kitchen to find cans of beer stacked into another tower. Ken wondered again if Nikki was behind all this somehow. But then after she left town, the towers continued appearing in the kitchen almost every day. Ken and Deborah continued to live in a state of general unease. The only thing that really kept them from reaching out to the authorities was that whoever was messing with them hadn't done anything threatening. They took their key back from Johnny, explaining that they had to figure out what was going on. They changed their locks. The towers kept appearing. Ken then borrowed another computer from the school a few months after all this started in February of 1985. And the following evening, he took Deborah out for a Sunday drive. When they got back home, he again noticed the computer was turned on when he was sure he'd turned it off. 
He looked at the screen, saw another new file, this one named REATE, R-E-A-T-E. A sense of dread ran through him as he sat down to read its contents. I write on behalf of men. What strange words thou speak, although I must confess that I hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes methinks alterations somewhat barful, for they break mine a slopes in mine bed. Thou art goodly man who hath fanciful woman who dwell in mine home. I hath no want to affray, for only sith mine half whited antic has ripen a twain, mine bound hath I been wreathed a night. I hath seen many alterations, lastly charge house and thou home. "'Tis a fitting place with lights, which devil maketh and costly things, that only mine friend Edmund Gray can afford, or the king himself. "'Twas a great crime to hath bribed mine house, L.W." The message left the Websters with so many questions. It was either full of terrible misspellings, or had been written in a very old form of English. There were a few words that neither Ken nor Deborah had ever heard of or knew the meaning of. Now, for the first time, they started to really consider the possibility that some sort of spirit was in their house. If somehow there was an entity living in their home and speaking through the word processor, it seemed like this entity believed that the cottage was their home. The next day at work, Ken approached his colleague, Peter Trinder, with his account of all the recent events of the cottage. Peter was extremely open-minded, had a vast knowledge of anything pertaining to the English language. Ken was hoping he could either date the language in the message from LW, or at least translate some of the words for him. Peter was fascinated by the story and did provide an analysis of the words and the grammar dating the language all the way back to the 17th century. He requested copies of any future messages should they appear and promised to analyze them as well. Further intrigued, Ken now also contacted his good friend and history buff, solicitor John Cummins. John came over that night to take a look at the message and he helped craft a response. Could they communicate with whoever had written it? Ken created a new file and wrote the following message. In the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, dear L.W., thank you for your message. We are sorry for disturbing you. What would you like us to do? Did you live in a house on this land around 1620? Do you want us to tell you more about our time? Why write a poem? Who is Edmund Gray? Is he related to the Edgerton family? Is the King James or Charles Stuart? What is the charge house? Was the village called Doddleston in your life and how many families lived there? Thank you very much for your messages. Thank you for not making us afraid, Ken, Deborah, and John. The following afternoon, upon Ken returning home from work, something else incredible happened. Ken and Deborah received a response. Ken called John and read the message aloud to him. "'Twas an honest farm of oak and stone. It is helpful that you should tell me about thy time. Dost thou have a horse? Edmund Gray, brother of John Gray, lives at Kinnerton Hall. Thy king is, of course, is... Yeah, thy king, of course, is Henry VIII, who is six and forty. I need woot of King James. Mine charge house is a place of lure. LW 28 March Anno 1521. After some research and analysis, Ken felt skeptical about the information in this last message. Kinnerton Hall was supposedly built in the 17th century, not the 16th. And there was no historic records of a John or an Edmund Gray and Dodelson in the 16th century. Henry VIII was also not 46 years old. In 1521, he was 30. All this led Ken back to thinking that maybe this whole thing was a prank after all. But who is going through the trouble of taking a joke this far? If the writer really was a spirit from the 16th century, the language itself at least checked out. After writing another response, Ken now received the next message on the 16th of February. The screen was full of text. The writer sent a very long message asking once again, amongst so many other questions, why Ken was in his house and recounting various aspects of his life. The writer signed the message as Lucas. 
Lucas informed Ken he had no family and that his wife had passed sometime earlier while carrying their unborn child. Lucas mentioned that the house he lived in had red stone footings. This particular detail stood out to Ken when he first moved into the cottage, was doing some renovation work in the garden. He dug up an old pile of red stone blocks. Ken was not aware of anyone else who knew this information, not even Deborah. On Monday the 18th, Ken responded again at approximately 9.30 a.m. By the time he got home at 5.30 p.m., Lucas had already responded. Lucas seemed agitated by Ken's many questions in this message and also requested that Deborah play her flute more. Said he enjoyed the sound. He signed this message with the full name, Lucas Wayman. Armed with this new information, Deborah encouraged Ken to go to the local library to try to get information about Lucas. After a few hours of research, they came up with nothing. The couple was determined to find something that proved this wasn't all just some elaborate hoax, though. Ken and Deborah went to stay at John Cummings' flat in Islington, eager to talk to someone also fascinated by all of this and possibly get some help. John had been reading Poltergeist by Colin Wilson and had some interesting theories, but Ken didn't really like any of them. John explained that poltergeist activity is usually caused by psychic reactions from the mind of a frustrated teenager. Deborah was only 19 years old at this time, but she was happy with her life and marriage. I said she was younger. <laughs> the second theory they discussed was ley lines. If two ley lines intersect, it can supposedly attract negative entities to that location. Ken, a skeptic, also was reluctant to believe this theory. Ken returned the computer to the school again, but now the poltergeist activity continued. But now instead of m- mysterious pyramids appearing in the kitchen, he and Deborah started to witness objects moving about and floating around on their own. This was no practical joke. No explanation made sense other than the paranormal at this point. Ken and Deborah were now constantly on edge. They were tired and scared to sleep with the lights off, but also couldn't fall asleep with the lights on. Things got so bad that Deborah moved out before she had a full-on nervous breakdown. She rented a small cottage in nearby East Green to get away from this all. Ken refused to leave. He desperately wanted some answers. He was determined to find out exactly what was happening. Soon after Deborah began staying in the new cottage, Ken returned home from work to find a floppy disk on the kitchen windowsill that had come out of its paper wrapper. The disk was named Lucas. Ken got the chills. Now Lucas was somehow writing his name on floppy disks? And how did he get these disks? Once again, Ken borrowed a computer from the school. Not long after plugging the machine back in, a new message arrived, followed by another. Lucas went on to tell Ken more about his life and things he enjoyed doing. Lucas wrote that he had moved to the area because the tax was low, uh, but now a new sheriff was giving him trouble and some locals were accusing him of witchcraft and divination because they heard he had been talking to Ken through a concealed device. The last messages left Ken reeling. Uh, the events Lucas wrote about were not taking place in a past life. They were taking place while the two were communicating. Ken had previously assumed Lucas was in a, a spirit of a man long dead. But now it seems as if Lucas was alive at the same time as Ken, but that the two were simultaneously existing about 400 years apart in the same place. Ken wondered why Lucas kept referring to the computer as a concealed device when it was very much on display in the kitchen. Ken wrote a response, left a picture of his Jaguar, or his horseless cart, as he called it, next to the computer in hopes that Lucas could somehow see it. Ken expected a response, but he wasn't ready for what he saw when he approached the computer. The picture of his car was brittle and black now around the edges, as if it had been burned. Lucas seemed amazed and confused about the car, writing that it looked nice, but Ken wouldn't get far without horses. Accompanying that message was one of his favorite recipes that he wanted to share with Ken. It seemed like Lucas wanted to be his friend. Ken now met with his colleague Peter Trinder again, giving him a rundown of these recent events. Peter suggested Ken get in touch with the Society for Psychical Research and have them do a full-on investigation. 
Ken agreed and reached out. The SPR seemed disinterested because there was no way to rule out Ken and Deborah as the source of the messages. An SPR representative told them if they could get further witness testimony, more than just Nikki, they would look into the case. Was this experience too strange even for paranormal investigators? After this rejection, things began to take an even stranger turn. Lucas now wrote that he had a female friend who did not care for Deborah, who had now returned to spending most of her time with Ken in the original cottage. Shortly after that message, Deborah began to feel something cold, touching, and squeezing her on a regular basis. She also began having vivid dreams involving seeing Lucas in the kitchen. One morning, she awoke from one of these dreams to find his name scrawled across a beam in the kitchen. Once again, terrified that things could escalate even further, Deborah started spending more time at the other cottage. Ken and Peter Trinder now went on a trip to Brazenose College in Oxford to, first, to further investigate all this. Lucas had told Ken he'd studied there. Ken hoped to find a record of Lucas and his classmates, something to prove he was a real man. But again, Ken found nothing. Soon, though, Ken would receive a new clue regarding this mystery. On the 4th of April, Lucas told Ken that he'd been advised by a friend to use a fake name and change certain details about his life because he didn't know if he could trust Ken. Lucas now felt that Ken was trustworthy, but still didn't reveal his full name in this message. In order to try to get the SPR on board to investigate, Ken and Deborah now invited her mother and brother to stay at the main cottage for a little while. Deborah's mother would end up submitting the following testimony to the SPR. My son and I arrived at Meadow Cottage at approximately 7.45 p.m. on the 15th of April, 1985. After a few minutes, a friend of Mr. Webster's called at the front door for something. After a few words were exchanged between my daughter and the caller, he left and we three, my daughter, my son, and myself, went into the kitchen. We checked the windows and doors in the kitchen and bathroom. The back door was locked with a chain on the inside. The windows were closed, including skylights, though we did not have time to check if they were locked. We then gave our attention to the computer. All previous entries on the disk were inspected. Deborah typed a few lines on the screen, and as far as we know, nothing was entered after that. At 8.03 p.m., we went to the living room, closing the door behind us. I noted that the light had been left on inside the kitchen. We settled down, quietly reading or writing, and occasionally speaking. I was not listening intently for noises. This was unnecessary as we were very quiet ourselves, but I did hear one or two noises that seemed to come from the kitchen. The sort of noise a mouse might make. I felt cold at times, and at one stage was shivering. We all kept our coats on as there was no fire in the hearth. We went into the kitchen again at 9 p.m. Deborah left to wait on one of the keys to scroll the screen because she needed the bathroom and there didn't appear to be anything entered since we left it last. After a minute, we were startled by a high-pitched noise coming from the computer. This indicated to Deborah, I believe, that something had been entered. She swiftly came to the computer and we all saw a new entry displayed, starting with the poem. We were short on time and I was unable to understand that all, all that was entered at the time, but I did manage to read one or two lines and we then left the cottage. Lucas had written them again. A new witness was there to verify. Two new witnesses. They waited to see how the SPR would respond. On the 22nd of April, another new message appeared on the computer. This time it was not from Lucas, but came from someone calling themselves John. After analyzing former correspondence, Deborah and Ken were certain that John was the sheriff. John informed them that Lucas had been arrested on charges of witchcraft. What is happening in this story? Emotionally invested now in all of this, Deborah was concerned for Lucas and told Ken to reply to the sheriff and request <laughs> to speak with him. If the sheriff could see the device they were using to communicate with them, they might be able to convince him to release Lucas. Deborah and Ken later received a message from Lucas who appeared to be having a difficult time. Rumors had been circulating around town that Lucas was communicating with demons. Lucas now also mentioned something else Ken found rather curious. You said your time be 1985. Me thought you were from 
2,109 like the old friend, 2109. Ken decided to try out the only idea he had and wrote on the computer screen, calling 2109. After this, he composed a letter to the sheriff playing on superstition in order to try to get Lucas freed from prison. And then the first response came in from someone calling themselves 2109, Ken Deb Peter. We are sorry, we can only give you two choices. One, that you either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have instant understanding but cause what should not be to happen, or two, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your lifetime change the face of history. We 2109 must not affect your thoughts directly, but give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he, it is. The cryptic message left Ken reeling. Could he really be living in 1985 and talking to others in the years 1521 and 2109 at the same time? Or was this all a trick, as a friend of his suggested? Was he communicating not with any real people or spirits of deceased people? Was he being manipulated into engaging with some kind of entity, perhaps even something demonic? Who or what was he playing games with? If he was communicating with real people in different times, he was at least, uh, you know, soon left with some comfort to find out that his letter to the sheriff had apparently worked. Although Lucas was still awaiting trial, he was released from jail and put on house arrest. (laughs) Also, the SPR now finally responded to Ken and Deborah. However, their interest was fleeting. They, They visited the Webster's house a few times, taped up the doors and windows of the kitchen, waited for pyramids or a message to appear, but soon decided there was just not enough evidence that Ken and Deborah hadn't written a series of Word documents themselves. This was devastating to Deborah. She'd been spending most nights at the second cottage and was sick of either being separated from her husband or terrified. She was reaching her wit's end with poltergeist activity. One day in May, she went home to feed the cats and was greeted with almost every item the couple owned stacked against the walls of the living room, and she quickly fled the house. By the time Ken got back, uh, everything was in its place, as if it had never been moved. After a few weeks of not hearing from Lucas, Ken was starting to get worried. He felt, uh, you know, he was responsible for the predicament that Lucas was in, awaiting trial, charged with witchcraft. In the 1500s, that could easily lead to the end of a man's life. Ken decided to write a message to 2109 and also wrote another letter to John the Sheriff. Lucas is a good man and does not deserve to die. We are not devils, but we have power. Lucas must not die. He must be set free to live at his house, and then he w- and then we will speak as friends. We too fear for your soul if Lucas is to die at your hands. The threat of eternal damnation seemed to do the trick. All charges against Lucas were dropped. However, Lucas's life didn't improve. The local landowner evicted Lucas from his home. In August, Ken finally decided to ask Lucas about all the poltergeist activity in his house. To his surprise, Lucas told him he'd been having the same experiences and assumed Ken was causing the strange activity in his house. They decided that 2109 must be responsible and decided they needed a way to communicate where 2109 couldn't intercept their messages. Oh my God. Ken left a pen and paper out every night now. Somehow, Lucas managed to write a message on this paper. This time, Lucas signed his name as Thomas. If he didn't, uh, it didn't take long for Ken and his colleague Peter to at, last, to at long last find out who was on the other side of these odd messages. They determined that Lucas was a local man named Thomas Howarden. Peter had suspected it was him from small bits of information given him over the months. They found Thomas's college records and confirmed he was indeed a student at Brainos College until he was expelled for expunging the name of the Pope. Lucas, or rather Thomas, later confirmed this information. After communicating with Lucas via pen and paper for a while, Ken awoke to find his computer in the bathroom now. Where the computer normally sat was a written message in chalk. Ken knew from the wording it was from 2109. The cryptic message read, One more chance. Measure frequency by plus two energy. What else other than sound or light? 
Once the computer was back in its original position, Ken now found more messages. 2109 was not pleased about the secret correspondence between Ken and Lucas. Ken and Lucas continued writing back and forth on paper, trying to avoid the watchful presence of 2109. While discussing older messages, they came to the conclusion that 2109 was editing their messages to each other, and in some cases sending entirely false messages, claiming to be the other person. Lucas and Ken developed a strong bond. Both were upset that their communication would end in November when Lucas was scheduled to be evicted. Ken was convinced that someone or some group or something was using them as an experiment. One night in September, Ken received yet another message from 2109 with the name and number of an investigator it seemed they wanted Ken to get in touch with. Ken called the number, and the number was answered by UFO researcher Gary Rowe. Oh, my God. Who met them at a local pub to discuss his story. Gary wrote a note, sealed it inside a brown envelope, asked Ken to place it on top of the computer without opening or reading it. Ken obeyed. 2109 then asked Ken to print out a response without reading it and seal it in an envelope to give to Gary. To this day, Ken does not know what was in those envelopes. Gary's openly said that the experience changed his entire outlook on everything. And to this day, he is still not majorly, uh, he is still majorly affected by the events that took place in 1985. What was all this? Meanwhile, knowing his time with Lucas was coming to an end, Ken decided to ask Lucas how he discovered the computer. Lucas was rather confused about the concept of a computer and explained he had no keys to type words. He said that one night he awoke to see a green light illuminating his fireplace. He claimed that a man walked out from that light, told him to be strong and keep his faith. When the man left, there was now a magical machine in his home. For Lucas, the machine was just a small screen, and when he spoke, his words appeared on it. The last message from Lucas inevitably came and was extremely touching. He talked about his future plans, how one day he was certain they would find a new way or find a way to sit and have a meal together by the river in Oxford. Both Ken and Lucas agreed to write a book about their experiences one day. And then Ken received his final message from 2109. There is another person to come. They will be the help you need. You will know when they come. Thomas did eventually write his book and died shortly after. He placed it in a secure place. It shouldn't take too many years to find it. Though he wrote it in Latin uh, with help from a friend he met in Oxford. The inscription reads, Me writes this in the hopes that mine friends will one day find this book. Then may our lands be not so distant. We will finish now. You have a lot of work to do. There is no need for you to write back as we will have gone. Thank you for your cooperation. 2109. After this last message, all was quiet and seems to have remained quiet ever since. Ken wrote a book titled The Vertical Plane, published in 1989. It was recently republished earlier this year. Ken is still searching for the book Lucas wrote. He allegedly keeps a binder with over 300 messages from Lucas. Says he still lays awake at night wondering who or what 2109 is, what influence they had over his relationship with Lucas, and most importantly, he wonders if communication across time is truly possible, or if, again, he never communicated with any people or any spirits of people at all, but something else entirely. What the hell? What the fuck is going on in that story? That is insane. First of all, it's so hard not to laugh at some of the moments. I know, it's, it's just, like, it's like, what, what is happening? This is not, this is not plausible. I can, also, I cannot believe that this is not a movie. I know. It is getting more attention. I, I was not familiar with this story. And when I was looking at sources, it's been showing up, you know, and some YouTubers have told, you know, okay. parts of this story. Again, the book was republished this year. So it seems to have... Um, is Mr. Ballin? Is Mr. Ballin talking about I it? I don't know. It, I don't think it's necessarily his wheelhouse, but it's gotten more like renewed interest. So, uh, that is uh, who so knows? freaking weird. It's and, so weird. And I know it's not like the scariest, but there are elements of 
paranormal terror, like when she's being touched, Deborah, by an invisible entity. Oh, totally. And when they're being harassed, things moved around, you know, just like not knowing if someone's like, you know, been breaking into their house, all that kind of stuff. Oh, no, I think it absolutely fits the vibe here because, I mean, I'm I'm going to tell you a story with a possible UFO. So it's like, to me, 2109, okay, who else could it be other than aliens? I, I don't that, I don't understand anything a, about this. Yeah, that would be the craziest long con, and so intricate and so mm-hmm. complex. And and to what satisfaction? At no point does somebody right. come out and go, "Ha ha, gotcha!" And, like, and then yeah. it's really funny, and it's like, "Oh my gosh, that's crazy! I can't believe you did that." No. And if Ken and Deborah were making this up, I mean, which they could have. I mean, all these stories. That's of course always a possibility. Sure. What a weird story to make up. Also, maybe they're brilliant storytellers. Yeah, like, like good for. I mean, if you so thought atypical. this up and and followed through in the computer, and you got Nikki involved, right. and you got her mom and her brother involved, and I mean, it's a lot of people. Yeah, and to like have no detail messed up, where you're like, wait a second, and that have, doesn't line up, and to have the messages be so like, what are they even saying I know, in those? Like that, nine be, blah 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 f schnish. I would think if you made it up, you would you would gravitate towards being scarier. With the messages yeah. or threat, have some kind of like narrative angle. Not that you have to, but I mean, to me, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know what to think of this story. Are Ken and Deborah still married? Uh, there's uh, almost no information about them since uh, the release of this book. You can't find any information about Deborah, to my knowledge, anywhere. Mm-hmm. And Ken, I couldn't even find a picture of the author. Uh-huh. Th- there's the book. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. There's okay. so much weird shit about this. Well, well, okay, that that. <sighs> Off the cuff, I suppose that leads me more down the path that it's completely made up because mm-hmm. it, it okay if if you can't find Ken and Deborah to me, that's like, okay, maybe Ken exists, but Deborah never existed, and that's just a a totally. character that he made up in this story and or somebody entirely separate of them wrote this and those are just characters in a story yeah, that yeah. they wrote and but they don't want to be grilled about it because they're like they know that holes will be poked in it. Yeah, yeah, it could be that, or it could also lead people to believe the other way, where it's like, clearly Ken Webster wasn't seeking fame. That's fair. You know, because, like, there's been no publicity tour, none of that. Uh, no movie. Nothing, you know, just like, just the story just came out, and that was kind of it. And doesn't seem to have followed up with other stories that I'm aware of. In 1985, I mean, that's not even that long ago. Mm-hmm. And But definitely long enough for them to... Keep chunking away at more stories, mm-hmm. trying to get more notoriety. Now that this thing's having a resurgence to do interviews and things. I don't even know if they're alive. What uh, a bizarre thing. Uh, this a couple couple pictures. And again, you can check this out at, at Scared to Death Podcast on Instagram or um, Facebook. This first one, cover of Ken Webster's book, The Vertical Plane. If you want to do a much deeper dive on all this. Okay, so so there's the book, but you couldn't find pictures of him? He doesn't have an about the author page. If if he does, I mean, I I couldn't. There was no um, ebook version that I was able to find. Yeah, it was like a paper book. He had to paperback. He had to order. Mm. Maybe it's in there. No one just you know like has thrown it up on the internet. That seems the Gary Rowe. I had to find him on Facebook. He's not a UFO researcher of like huge. No, this is just from his own Facebook page. Yeah, just like his personal. Yeah, and he has like maybe two hundred friends. He's not like a, a a big social media. It's like he's not trying to get famous off this. Um. Here's another picture of a, a possible extraterrestrial after Gary Busey. <laughs> I just like pictures of oh, Gary Busey. Oh, God. What kind of mental illness does he have? Well, if we want to get sad, I don't. I think he no, was he, in a, he, he he a motorcycle accident right? had, a, had a brain injury. Okay, yeah, because I was I like, there is something. 
But I also want to say he was, uh, yes, had a brain injury, but was n- pretty Gary Busey before the brain injury. When did the brain, do you know? I don't remember. Well, quite a while ago. Quite a while ago. Okay. But I, I, uh, I hired him on Cameo once to send a uh, birthday message oh to our God, friend Doug right. Mellard and he killed it. He did a great job. Didn't his son then also join in? Yeah, Jake Busey's also on, but not but not oh in the song. God. But Jake Busey has, or at least had his own cameo account. But I thought that Jake, I didn't like, get the two of them on the jumped message. into. Uh, oh, maybe. Oh, no, oh, oh, wait. I think I have it wrong. I think that Doug then sent you back a message from Jake. Oh, that's what it was. I believe. Yeah, I believe then. Yeah, Doug hired Jake Busey to send me a birthday. What greeting. a silly thing. <laughs> My gosh, um, I have that, a weird Gary Busey story, but I I feel bad now because oh, I didn't know about the I know the yeah, car accident. Yeah, one of my friends worked with him in production, and he was not a clean individual. Yeah, but yeah, the, yeah that might have been post- but nice. Yeah, For, nice. Was, yeah, not, weirdo, yeah. but nice. But then there was ah, now that now there's recent. I don't want to get into a Gary Busey wormhole because now there's recent allegations he did some creepy stuff. Oh no! Let's skip on past old Busey. Oh Gary, why'd huh. you bring him into this? <laughs> this is all your fault, Cummins. A weird pick. We move on, <laughs> and then this is um, a pick of the uh, BBC microcomputer that Ken possibly used to correspond with someone from the past. Early, early, like pre Apple IIe kind of computer. I mean, such a like. Okay, so then Thomas slash Lucas is saying like this green box showed up in my fireplace uh-huh. dude came out of also, his fireplace did he use the word fireplace because i don't feel like they would have called it that in that era um i might i might have not been quoting him there might oh, have been okay, okay. Uh, paraphrasing i can't remember okay okay so but this green box shows up that he talks to and then it spits out his words oh after yeah. something walked out of it and yeah. told him to like keep the faith and keep the faith yeah this and who's 2109 no one knows okay it's very weird is Ken Webster Gary Busey? <laughs> is Gary Busey twenty one oh nine? There's unlimited possibilities with this story. <laughs> My God, you could have one of Are those. Are you like, twenty one oh nine? Am I twenty one oh nine? Am I Gary Busey? I have something to tell Nothing you. Nothing makes sense anymore. <laughs> I'm having an existential crisis now. Oh no, oh, no! <laughs> now I'm on stage with you, and you're like, "What is a line? What? Are, what's the point of a line?" <laughs> Dan was doing a funny new bit in Austin this past weekend, and he just is like going off about lines. Like, what is, what does it mean to stand in a line? Yeah, yeah. So silly. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdo. Um, are you are you ready to get to a more typically scary story now, or do you have more questions about this? I mean, we could probably talk about this for hours. Oh, I feel. I don't I, know if we'd get anywhere. We wouldn't get anywhere. I just want to say one thing. Yeah. Uh, especially like for newer listeners who haven't listened to the back catalog, when you were talking about possibly someone being hidden in the house, I oh, immediately yeah. thought of the Denver Spider-Man. And that oh, is such, such a good a pr- episode. Yeah, and I can't remember which episode that, which number that is, because, you know, we don't title them necessarily by the story. No, but, but you can find man, it. Yeah, that was, yeah, actually the Google's gotten so much better. It's so funny. Now, a lot of times when I'm looking up uh, creepy characters, our, our, vi- our, our videos come up constantly. You're like, hey guys. Not helpful. And I don't know how it does it, but it like, um, it probably just, tags. Well, no, what it'll do is it'll show you the time code automatically where you say this thing. So it's using voice recognition and then cataloging oh, it based on that. Like it's just getting I, more futuristic. I can't go down that hole because it's so like Big Brother's watching. Mm-hmm. It freaks me out. But the Denver Spider-Man, I, I love that story because it was that mix of really unusual true crime that led to really unusual and terrifying paranormal uh, lore. Just the the premise, if you don't know, is a tiny man living in the attic of a house, and and at night following people around, mm-hmm. and then yeah. oh god, it's so creepy. Okay, uh, ready to get into that uh, scarier story now? Um, yeah. 
Before moving on, we first need to take a quick mid-show story sponsor break. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you uh, use some of them and save some money. Okay, so here we go with the second story. Hawaii is a beautiful oh, setting. Man. Take for, me there. Yeah, for most people, including Lindsay and I, Hawaii is uh, mostly associated with relaxing and wonderful vacations. A warm, inviting, scenic, romantic, and tranquil destination where you can enjoy nature, a welcoming local culture, fine cuisine, recharge your batteries, lots of sunshine. Mm-hmm. But as we've learned here on Scared to Death, also a place full of reports of numerous and terrifying encounters with the paranormal. The Kai Muki House was once the location for numerous of these encounters. And the duplex, re- duplex recently built in its place may still provide horror stories in the future. Located in the Kaimuki neighborhood of Honolulu, the infamous original Kaimuki House, located on the corner of 8th and Harding Streets, was once one of the most haunted places in Honolulu before it was demolished in 2016. Numerous families who attempted to live in the original Kaimuki House ended up fleeing in terror. Reports of it being haunted go at least as far back as the late 1930s. Wow. Yeah, no one seems to be sure when the house was built, but doing a little digging into the history of the Kaimuki neighborhood, that area didn't really become populated with suburban homes until the early 20th century. So there's a very good chance that the home wasn't built until the 1930s. The first known report of haunted activity could have easily come from one of the first handful of uh, residents of the home, a young, newly married couple. Time now for the tale of the angry spirits of Hawaii's Kaimuki House. Shortly after they moved in, their neighbors heard loud bangs, crashes, and screams. The neighbors called the police to report a possible domestic violence incident, but when the police got there, the husband and wife both said they were being attacked by invisible forces, and the couple moved away shortly after that incident. In 1942, police were called to the house again after a woman living there called and frantically told them, she's trying to kill my children. When the police entered the house, they incredibly claimed to see the woman's three children levitating off the (gasps) floor being hit and thrown around by an invisible force. An invisible force the mother claimed to have witnessed a female sinister spirit of some kind. The Honolulu Star Bulletin reported this incident on August 13, 1942, titling their article, Police Called the Shoe Ghost from Kaimuki. Kahuna, Hawaii's own witchcraft, brewed evils once again Wednesday night, dispelling old-timers' hopes that the war had stilled it. 
answering a Kaimuki near riot call at 1.25 a.m., Police Sergeant Mosley K. Cummins and Patrolman Robert Anstath found a Hawaiian boy 10 and his two sisters, 18 and 20, shrieking on a sofa. Their mother, besides shrieking herself, was waving tea leaves and sprinkling Hawaiian salt to ward off ghosts. At 10 p.m., she said, her son had detected an, o- an odor of ghosts. Angry at being found out, the spirits first attacked him, then began repeated attempts to strangle his sister, she said. After a one-and-a-half-hour struggle, police and family yielded the home to Kahuna and retreated, to 3 uh, retreated at 3 a.m. to the mother's sister's home. This family moved out, and then the house sat empty for many years. Those who did live there in the ensuing few decades never stayed long. Three decades after that last attack that made the local papers, the new uh, the next newspaper report of a resident claiming to be attacked inside the house surfaced. The terrifying story of this attack was published in the 1972 Halloween publication of the Honolulu Star Bulletin, titled Spook Stories. Said a patrol officer on patrol in Kaimuki received a phone call from three young women who all lived together in the Kaimuki house. They told the officer that after... Uh, they'd been hearing strange noises of someone moving around and talking. An invisible entity grabbed one of them by the arm. She and her friends were absolutely terrified. So after breaking free from this thing's claw-like grip, they decided to go to one of their mother's houses. They wanted the police officer to follow them to make sure they got there safely. The three women all got into their car, and the police officer followed them down the road. Not far from their home, one of the girls was attacked again, the girl who'd previously been grabbed inside the Kaimuki house. The police officer witnessed the woman in the middle front seat suddenly fighting off someone who could not be seen, but who was strangling her. The officer stopped his car, jumped out to help her, reached into the girl's car to try and get whatever was choking this woman to leave her alone, but couldn't. The officer later said, A big, strong, calloused hand that could not possibly belong to a teenage girl grabbed my arm and twisted it. I radioed for assistance. A responding officer arrived at the scene later and said he was prepared for a parking lot fight, but not for a ghost. That police officer would later tell a journalist, there was a ghost in that car. By the time the second officer arrived, all three women were in complete hysterics. The backup officer ordered the woman who was being choked and manhandled when the entity explicably stopped attacking her to get into his police car. The other two women would drive behind them along to their destination, but as soon as the woman sat down in his squad car, it died and wouldn't start back up. The woman then returned to her friend's car, and then as soon as she climbed inside it, uh, miraculously the squad car started up again. They all decided to proceed down the road, keep heading towards the station, but they'd only made it about five yards out of the parking lot when the woman's car door flew open, and the woman who had been attacked now fell out onto the road. Whatever had choked her before, whatever had grabbed her inside the house, now it was back and it was dragging her. She was tearing at her throat as if someone was choking her. Both police officers working together still weren't strong enough to pull invisible hands away from the dying woman's throat and stop this thing from dragging her. One of the officers now ran into a nearby cafe, grabbed Hawaiian salt and water, ran back with it. He sprayed the girl being attacked and dragged and everyone else with it, and calm was immediately restored. The officer later told a reporter, it's something my grandmother or grandmother taught me. I never tried it before. It sends the ghosts away. Where did this attacking entity come from? What made the Kaimuki house become so haunted? Some suspect that the Kaimuki house became haunted after a father, the man who had the house built, murdered his wife and both his children inside the home. Allegedly, his wife and son were buried in the backyard and their bodies were later recovered, but the daughter's body was never found. And these are not the only reports of murders occurring inside the home in its early years. 
Another story of a double homicide involved a female couple who supposedly lived in the home. One of the women had an affair with a man, and when the man found out that his girlfriend already had a partner, he murdered them both, then took his own life inside the home. Six possible murders, all in the home's early history. Are these murders what led to the home being haunted, or did these murders occur because of something already haunting the home? Many familiar with these stories seem to believe that the first murders may have lured, or the first murderer may have lured an entity into infesting the home, and that entity then had a part in the subsequent murders and in all the subsequent claims of the building being haunted. The most popular theory regarding what this entity is, is that it is a kasha. Kasha is a dangerous spirit from Japanese folklore. The kasha is a type of entity that steals corpses and targets people who accumulate evil deeds. And after perhaps targeting the first murderer, this man-eating ghost, this ghoul who typically lives around crematoriums and feeds on the dead, often described as a cat-like demon from the sky who steals away bodies, may have decided to stay in the Kaimuki house. The original Kaimuki house was torn down in 2016, and the house has since been replaced by a two-story duplex. But the new property may still be haunted. Writer Keith Mann lived in one of the uh, units in the duplex for a year with roommates not long after it was rebuilt. He wrote that he and a friend were desperate for a place to live, made a hasty, impulsive decision. Finding a place to rent in Honolulu is a nightmare, he said, so you tend to gloss over a lot of negatives, including a corpse-eating demon roommate. After searching for a place to live, he learned about a brand new duplex in Kaimuki where some mutual friends lived. Keith didn't realize he was uh, living in the location of the Kaimuki house until after he moved in. He and his new roommates established three rules regarding living on haunted ground. No Ouija boards, no Halloween parties, no challenging the ghost or tempting fate. They lived in the house for a year without much incident, and the landlord and his family who lived above them said they also weren't completely plagued by paranormal happenings. However, a few times during his year in the house, Keith would wake up at exactly 4.33 a.m., quote, as if I had just been injected with adrenaline. And on these occasions, all the, uh, no, I'm sorry, and on, and on several other occasions, uh, all the smoke alarms in the place went off at the same time, even though there was no fire and none of the alarms were connected to one another. They were all battery operated, put in different rooms. No one alarm was connected in any way to any of the others. So what were the odds that they would all go off at the same time and on multiple occasions? Ken also said that in, on numerous occasions, his room would be much colder than the rest of the house and that he often woke up with a sense of anxiety and wrongness. He said he always kept his AC unit in his room set to 72 degrees, but on the mornings he woke up in a fright, the room barely reached 60 degrees. Ken wrote, the room temperature wasn't the haunting part, it was the cold feeling in my chest. It felt like being stabbed by a white walker. My veins were filled with ice water and I thought my life force was being drained out of me. My chest was so tight, I struggled to breathe. No matter what I told myself to calm down, the feeling crept through me like a virus until I could barely move. You know the feeling you get when somebody is staring at you? When your instincts alert you even when you can't see the person? It was like that. Whenever this happened, Keith would run out of his bedroom to the living room and would be afraid to go back into his room. He never saw anything paranormal, but always felt like something wasn't right. And that happened a total of four times during Keith's year in the new Kaimuki house. Neighbors later told him that no one had ever stayed in the Kaimuki house for more than three months. Keith Mann had his strange experiences about every three months. Coincidence? Keith believes that tearing down the original structure somehow dimmed the powers of the spirits that haunted the piece of land, the Kasha or whatever they are, and hopefully he's right, and no one will be attacked or strangled or dragged by an unseen force or murdered by a fellow human in the new and apparently still haunted Kaimuki house. Can you rent it like Airbnb? That's what they should be doing. Mm, they should Airbnb get the paranormal that. enthusiasts? Yeah. 
Oh yeah, there's so much that over there. I don't know. Oh man. The idea of an entirely invisible force trying to choke you to death is petrifying. I know. I, I was just thinking about that police officer. Like if you witnessed someone get dragged out of a car by something you can't see while they're being like, yeah, strangled. Oh man, that's sticking with you forever. Forever. You're waking up in the middle of the night thinking about that at different points in your life for the rest of your life. And, yeah. I, and of course, if that happens to you, even worse. Even, I mean, how do you sleep? How do you rest? How do <laughs> no you shit. like, uh, yeah, what a, I mean, it's just, the, the, um, the, the idea that this police officer tried to get this invisible force off of her and then felt yeah. something grab him. I don't know. It's just that thing of like not being able to defend yourself and or as a police officer protect, right? That's yeah, like, totally. like serve and protect. So like, what do you even grab at? I don't know. But the salt water, I thought that was very smart. And it made me think that this past weekend, uh, oh, Priscilla and Jonathan and Jonathan brought me some Florida water. Ah. And I'm like, oh, is that what's in Florida water? I cannot exactly remember. But like, yeah. man, we should probably be carrying that on us at all times in case there's a sudden invisible force. <laughs> uh, I have a few pictures. Nothing really spooky. I mean, the, the, okay. I, I just have a picture of the original uh, Kaimuki house. Okay. Just like a totally normal house. Yep. Like a pretty standard. Yeah, pretty standard house. And then this next one, this is the, uh, I found this off of, you know, putting in the address and using Google Maps. This is the Kaimuki house today. Blue skies. I know, it looks so nice over there. Uh, it's so cold outside. I, I know, to get the pronunciation, I was watching a realtor video uh, oh, from somebody boy. in Honolulu. And it's just like, Did you oh. buy a house? <laughs> no, but it just, it does. I've never been, we've never been to that island. No. But it looks so cool. next year though. Yeah, hopefully you can do a show over there. We're trying. We're trying to come for you guys. And then finally, just the Kasha spirit from Japanese folklore. Just a little sketch. Now, have we covered the Kasha spirit? Not this one, no. Because it's a very, usually shows up in stories as, yeah, this, this cat entity, like this cat demon entity that basically like ferries people to hell. Yeah. Uh, who, you know, have made terrible choices in life. It's a, it shows up in lists of like the weirdest spirits. From, you know, Japanese folklore. Okay, I think I have it confused with, uh, man, I forget which culture it is. I thought it was Japanese, where it's uh, like villages and like the, uh, it's like a, specifically a man-eating demon. Oh, in, Philipp in the Philippines. I, I, I uh, That like really black-skinned, oily-skinned man kind of. Uh, yeah, the oil-skinned man oil or whatever. Man. Yeah, it yeah. might even be called that. But I, I, I think, I remember that story. From, yeah, Philippine uh, folklore. There's something else. Uh, what's or Filipino the, folklore. Kashtuka? Kash Kashtuka? Kashtuka? I don't know. Kashtaka. Kashtaka. Oh, the Kashtaka. Yeah. That's, I don't remember what it does. That's the otter man, right, Logan? That's the from Alaska Inuit folklore. Correct, yeah. Yeah. So many creatures from so many places in the world. Why do they all start with K? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. Florida water. Oh, yeah. And those levitating kids. Oh, yeah, yeah. Dude. Showing up in the newspaper article like that. Oh my like, gosh. Uh, the police claiming to witness that. I wonder if per capita on average, if police police officers in Hawaii get more calls for paranormal, possible paranormal occurrences than the, anywhere else. The, uh, the, like anywhere else in the States? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would suspect there's a good chance of that because, you know, so much of it is cultural or That's seems to be, thinking, and, yeah. you know, and again, like a uh, Japanese culture way more than, uh, you know, U.S. culture on average mm -hmm. is interested in the spirit world mm -hmm. and interested in ghosts and that kind of, you know, folklore. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, Japanese culture is so tied to Hawaii's 
culture just yeah. because there has been so many Japanese people that have lived there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. True story. Whew. My chest feels a little heavy from that last one. Uh-huh. Also, I'm still thinking about the weird computer 2901 or whatever. 2109. 2109. Yeah. What the heck? I don't know. That is so trippy. I mean, if that if that story somehow is real, it's just such a weird commentary or like just to get like a perspective on how time works mm-hmm. and how the past and that, I mean, because, you know, there are people who believe that and people who theorize that whole like time is a circle and more circular, not like a straight line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That somehow you could be in some spot where like the past and the present and the future call all kind of like intersect with one another. Like some weird like portal, like you're just in the right place. Yeah, like you could be talking to somebody in a completely different time. Yeah. Yeah. Is your tattoo shedding? No, I don't know. I got a bunch of white fuzzies all over my pants. I have no oh, idea where they came from, from. It might be from these guys. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Is your tattoo, how's it looking? Um, I can't. Can my you? arm is a little, oh, uh, I can't sore. really, I'll have to show it on when it's healed more on Instagram or something. Dan's got a new. New from Will XX and a new, um. Kind of horror, I guess, like tattoo, but what it's a Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper but he's presenting. Uh, it's not complete. It's pretty complete, but it mm-hmm. has those words. But a Grim Reaper presenting a, a little double helix. Mm-hmm. Like you're not dead, man. I'm not killing you. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just transforming you. Eek! I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> we, we we can talk about that later. <laughs> Woo, man. Twenty twenty one oh nine. Listen, that's not that far away. I think that's like the part of the story that I was like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. What happens when we get to the year 2109? Is that who it is? Is it is is that when the future and the past and the present all collide? Because it would no longer be the future if it was that year. But you you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yee Chihuahua. Do a little squish squish over there. I do. Hello, Layla. Oh, Layla. Uh okay. Well, let's uh move on to some other kinds of horror. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh okay. So we have covered definitely for sure various kinds of like care facilities, like nursing homes, mm-hmm. uh, like mental care facilities for the elderly or just, you know, mental health in general. Like, I don't even know like what you call it now. Like we would have called it an insane asylum, but, you know, just those places seem to have a reasonable amount of death in general, even if it's like a place where like old people or people in general go to like rehab a hip. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, at a certain point in your life, those kinds of injuries can kind of take you out. Yeah. And so we've really been here before but but this uh i don't know it just it it seems like more often than not there's paranormal activity at them and Mm -hmm. i don't know if it's because of the death or is it because of the kind of like work that's going on there or like old hospitals that are repurposed i don't know i don't know but it's uh this this story definitely made me like all right good i don't want to be in a old folks home <laughs> literally ever so if you ditch me there just know that if i die there i'm not going to stay there and haunt people i'm going to find you and haunt you for ditching me there all right okay fair enough fair enough all right let's see what this uh former healthcare facility worker has to share hello dan and Lindsay. my roommate introduced me to scared to death and i've been addicted to it ever since I've been connected to spirits and the unknown for as long as I can remember. And it's nice to hear others' stories that prove that I'm not crazy, even when no one else would listen to me. A few years ago, I took a job as a security officer at a veteran's home. The home is a place for those who cannot care for themselves, but there is also a section for highly functioning veterans who are working towards leaving the home Hmm. and are there for other reasons such as addiction or other mental health needs. 
Mortality isn't as commonplace as it is in other such places, but it is high enough that there is a whiteboard that tracks the number of deaths of current and former residents, and the board gets one or two new entries a month. When I took the job, I was warned that some people think the place is haunted, and the company gets a lot of turnover because people can't handle it. I'm a bit paranoid of the paranormal because I've always been a lightning rod for paranormal activity. A story I always remember from when I was young is that my grandpa had recently died, and I was sitting in the living room of my grandma's house watching TV when I heard something moving in the family room, which was just down the hall and down a small flight of stairs. Being the curious child I was, I got up and went to the family room only to see my grandpa in the living room holding a flower. (laughs) He winked at me. (laughs) smiled and placed the flower on the fireplace. He put his fingers to his lips in a hush motion and then walked out the door and disappeared. He never said a word to me and I never said a word to my grandma about it. She Hmm. found the flower later that day after I'd gone home. She always told my family that Papa had brought it for her. I knew she was right and she knew she was right too even though my family doubted it. That experience along with a few others I had gave me pause before taking this job. I feared the worst, but my paranormal experiences had always been pleasant, and the job did pay well. On my first day, my training officer, the only other guard at the home, walked me around the gar- walked me around the grounds and gave me a little bit of history about the place. Before becoming a veteran's home, it was a psychiatric hosp- hospital, as in the lobotomy kind. Oh, man. I asked if the place was haunted, and he looked me dead in the eyes in the most serious voice I'd ever heard and he said yes it is very haunted but don't worry the ghosts are nice both both everyone who worked and lived there agreed the place was haunted during that first shift shortly after he told me about the ghosts the elevator doors opened on their own almost as if the ghosts were confirming their presence I didn't really think anything of it at the time however it did become a regular occurrence The elevators opened on their own seemingly randomly, though not always. Whenever this one resident walked towards the elevators, the doors would open, even though he never pushed the call button. He would hop inside and say, thank you, Casper. (laughs) He did this almost as a nightly routine. Other things were happening in another building that housed a game room for the guests. It was had arcade machines, a skee-ball machine, and a pool table. I would go in there at night and find the games playing themselves. I wrote it off as an electrical short or something of that matter. I tried to find logical reasons to debunk what I was seeing. I had always written off all that was happening when a new nurse in the facility asked me if the place was haunted. I said that, yeah, weird things certainly happen, but it was old and probably just had to do with electrical problems. The next day, I got ready for my 16-hour shift, a shift that would be the single most terrifying experience in my life. I came to work and everything was normal. I did my patrols, chilled out in the security office, ate my lunch, patrolled some more. Nothing crazy, but when the night hit, something changed. The home is lonelier at night as there's only one guard and two nurses. The residents are mostly sleeping and no other staff is around. I went to the game room to lock it up, just like I did every night. When I walked in, the machines went crazy, but they always did, so I was entirely unfazed. I walked to the end of the long hall and locked the door, then walked back and locked the front door. As I turned around, a puzzle on a table flung itself off the table and onto the floor. (laughs) I kind of laughed it off and got into the elevator. The elevator takes you down to this network of tunnels that run underneath the entirety of the veteran's home for fast travel for employees. 
Some of these tunnels were certainly creepy, dimly lit, barely enough height to walk and a crouch. But this particular tunnel was extremely well lit, and even the residents used it to get to the game room. As I walked down the tunnel towards the main building, I heard footsteps following me. I turned around thinking maybe I had missed a patient in the game room during my patrol, but no one was there. I made it to the end of the hall and locked the door, and as I did every night, I did so without hearing any more footsteps. I walked down the hall past the elevator. It opened on, it own, on its own as it often did. I never took the elevator during my patrol, though. I always took the stairs. So I walked past the nurse's station, waving to the night nurse. And on the second floor, I walked past the elevator again. Nobody had gotten on it, but it was now on the second floor, and the doors opened as I walked past. I was mildly concerned as I walked to the third floor. The elevator was there when I passed it, and again it opened with no one inside. And again, this pattern repeated itself on the fourth floor. I walked back down the stairs from the fourth floor and came out by the nurse's station. One of the night nurses said I looked white as a ghost (laughs) and asked if I was okay. I told her what I saw, but she just laughed at me and said, I think you're making them angry. I went to the main lobby to use the restroom. No one else was in there. And right as I was about to leave the restroom, the door slammed shut in front of me and the lights went out. I fled as fast as I could running outside. My patrol required going to a building across the street from the main building and now felt like a good time. I walked through that building without much incident and then walked back to the main building. As I approached, I heard a horrifying scream, a woman's scream. Once, twice, three times. It was coming from the back of the main building. So I entered the front, grabbed the head nurse, and we headed to the back to look around. No one was there and no one else had heard anything. He told me I was letting things get to me. When we went back inside, I returned to the security office where I finished my patrol. Connected to the office was a training office for the staff. It was inaccessible except through the security office. Nobody was inside, and in fact, it was very rarely even used. I sat there playing on my phone when I heard the sound of a computer turning on, the familiar Windows startup sound ringing in my ears, the sound coming from the training room. The hair on the back of my neck stood up, but I just wrote it off. But then... A second computer turned on, then a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. I heard a deep, low voice whisper, get out now. For the first time in my life, I felt actual fear from this paranormal encounter. I felt fear for my life in that moment. I got up and ran out to the nurse's office. I continued my night, but I never went back into the security office. And during my rest times, I sat in the break room watching TV, trying to forget what had happened. In the morning, I went around to do the unlocks, going back down the hall, unlocking the game room. As I walked through the room, the machine started acting up again, and then a pool ball flew across the room right past me. Not close enough that I thought it was aimed at me, but just close enough to send me a reminder. We are here and we are real. I never doubted ghosts again. I stayed at the job for a year. I refused to go into the game room alone after dark. And every time the machines went crazy, I would simply say hello to Casper. I told him that I could see him, and sometimes that was enough to make him stop. Casper was real, and for that one night, I feared that he was actually trying to hurt me. I've long since left that job, and nothing else has happened, but I feel immense sadness when I think about it. I'm afraid to talk about it to others because I assume they'll think I'm crazy. Maybe sharing my story will help others who are afraid to talk about their experiences but want someone to tell. Thanks for everything you do, some random girl on the internet. (laughs) Thanks, some random girl on the internet. Uh, all the electrical stuff in that story, 
like the elevator and the computers and the in the game room, like just things like turning on or the elevator kind of like following her almost. I know, I know. And, I did not uh, care for that part. <laughs> that that is something that comes up in a lot of horror stories, like lights flickering. Oh, yeah. And you know, it, it, I think. I don't know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong here, Logan, I think there's still quite a bit of mystery around electricity. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, so much of mystery around electricity. Yeah, like they don't, know, like scientists don't know exactly how it forms and, and gets here. And, you like, know, like why it works? Yeah, like it, it is such a strange thing that like, you know, these the, these thunderstorms, they can really, yeah. there's, you know, natural electricity out in the atmosphere and that we were able to harness a version of that to try to actually like power things. Right. And create it through dams and different, like, but like what the fuck is, I mean, I know people can like, electrical engineers can say, well, it's, it's X, Y, Z. Yeah. But what are X, Y, Z? Like, how do we get this little magical mm-hmm. lightning that is in our walls right now mm. and then and then what is interacting with it to make these changes like how does spirit interact with it it's so even if it's not ghosts let's say it's right, not ghosts right, right. there's so many stories mm-hmm. of weird electrical things happening around people that sure don't seem to be coincidence and then you add like moving objects like the pool table yeah, ball yeah what is happening like like i guess i'm in that headspace of with the poltergeist um, possibility of the first story I told where the one guy's friend, Ken's friend was like, well, maybe it's poltergeist activity mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of like disruption around uh, uh, emotionally upset teenagers. Yeah. They used to think that it had something to do with poltergeist. That's as weird to me as ghosts. <laughs> how, how could emotional disruption True. affect like you're like you're I um, get it. a superhero somehow? Well, I mean, I don't know that I can. Ah, it's so weird. I don't know that I can you know, give you an explanation that is logical or entirely makes sense. But in my brain, the way I think about it is that we each have like a force field. We each have energy that we give off. It's like when you meet somebody, you're like, oh, they've got bad energy. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were at a a restaurant in Austin and this woman walked in and I was like, fuck her. Like I instantly hated her. She had (laughs) such bad energy. But it's, it's, it's something you give off. And it's like, yeah, you could say like, oh, it's the way you walk. It's the way you talk. It's the way you present yourself. But isn't that mm-hmm. your energy? Isn't that the thing that you're like releasing out into the universe? So if that is true, if that, if we think about it from that angle, yeah. and if when we die, where does our energy go? Like if it's still hanging around, then theoretically it could interact with right. all these other things and cause yeah, cause we other can, reactions. Because we uh, are, are, you know, conductors we can conduct electricity it can flow through us does mm-hmm. flow through us totally like think about like if you like go into like afib and they have to like shock your heart that's mm-hmm. a shock wave that's a an energy that's static being, electricity yeah like put into your body yep. to make your heart go boom boom boom, boom or you like know? yeah electrocutions when like uh, yeah, uh death penalties well I'm, I'm even thinking of like when people are holding hands and like a lightning bolt hits but then it, like they conduct and it goes to the other one and sometimes the person who it goes through is okay yeah but the last person in line is the one like kind like, of burnt the most there? yeah well and, 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 and or like little things like when you like drag your like uh feet across the yeah, like floor. static electricity yeah you touch a knob and it's like oh and you were talking about that lady with bad energy. She was with some other lady. What I find fascinating is like there's going to be people who don't read her energy as bad. They have a similar energy, perhaps. Oh, I, didn't their mind energy, the, I didn't mind the other right, lady as much. Right. But, but like, but isn't it weird? Like their energy may resonate with each other. Like there are so many intangibles in life. Oh, I see. It's, it's like when you talk about somebody who just doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. It's like, why aren't we, you know, why aren't you friends with so-so or with friends with so-and-so? 
and you can't fully articulate it. It's like, well, for lack of a better term, like, like they just don't get it. They're just like awkward. You, well, our just, energies don't match. Right, yeah. right. Like, yeah, you're just not in sync with one another. Uh-huh. And what, he, yeah. Totally, because I've met plenty of people in my life where it's like, you're an entirely nice person. You're not mm-hmm. even bad. Your energy's not even bad. We just oh, don't, yeah, that, yeah. we just don't click mm-hmm. as the saying goes. It's like, yep. I like you. I could have dinner with you, but we're never going deep. Yeah, you're Be- attracted to some people on a friendship or romantic level mm-hmm. for just, uh, Reasons that you can't fully express, even totally. articulate. Yeah, yeah, there's so many unknowns still, which is so great. Yeah, I didn't even think about that in terms of interacting with electricity as we know it. Mm-hmm. I mean, even batteries are kind of weird. <laughs> like, yeah, all of it's weird. Like this whole little system. I mean, I understand how a battery works, but like there are all these different variations of like, but what's really going on there? Mm-hmm. What if? Okay. What if ghosts are the ones jacking up our electric bills? What's <laughs> all their fault? That's funny. Like if you had like a, a house that was just, you know, getting a, a, an unusually high electrical bill every month <laughs> and it was because ghosts were siphoning off some of the energy they and use, it. using it for their own poltergeist activity type thing. Like that would be an interesting <laughs> study. Be hilarious. Houses that claim high levels of poltergeist activity. What's their electric bill? Oh my gosh. What's, like, what's the meter read? To, yeah. What's compared to the average electric bill? Okay. I like that <laughs> idea. Make it a little bit more scientific. So mm-hmm. silly. So, so silly. Oh. How do you feel about UFOs right now? Like, I'm still... I always believe in them. Okay. Are you terrified of them? Like, because both of our views and opinions on various different pieces of the paranormal or the unexplainable ebb and flow. I think that there's numerous uh, species out there in the universe just because of the numbers. There's so Mm -hmm. many different planets. And so I, I would just think that, you know practically some of them are going to be good. Just like people, some people are good, some people hmm. are bad. That There's going to be some aliens who the way they would treat us would not be good. Okay. Just like just like the way we treat houseflies in general is not good. <laughs> we just destroy them on site. Oh, there's going to be- I'm a really good fly killer. Does that mean the aliens are coming for me? <laughs> well, I think that there's going to be aliens who probably see us as nothing more than flies oh. or something just to be killed. And there's going to be probably benevolent aliens who want to communicate and are curious about us. I, it, I guess there's a whole, I would guess there's a whole gamut of aliens. Does it scare you? Nah, it doesn't worry. Cause just because like there's no, been no concrete proof of like, I look at like, we all have to die mm-hmm. eventually. Everyone's going to shed their mortal coil and go on to some new energy form or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's coming for us all. If I get to pick a death, uh, alien just uh, takeover, pretty exciting way to go. But possibly very painful. Yeah, but still, as you're dying this painful death, you're like, that's a fucking alien. But also, what if no one never finds out that that's how you died? Then it's like, all oh, that'd for be a bummer. That'd be a bummer. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I wouldn't want to die out alone in the woods getting attacked by one group of aliens. I would want to be part of a resistance force. <laughs> what is fighting, this, Star Wars? Uh, fighting off some alien takeover. And okay. then if I die in that fight, that's pretty cool death. Okay. All right. Well, I I appreciate your take. I think for me, the alien thing, as with all things potentially paranormal, is it's always the factor of the unknown, right? That's Mm -hmm. why we're afraid of death, because it's unknown. Yeah. That's why sometimes people are afraid to travel to a new place or try a new food or go out with this new person. It's like fear of the unknown. What will happen if I... What will, yeah. right? And so I think that's what it is for me about aliens is it's just, it feels like the least known, even though somehow it almost seems like it should be the most known, mm-hmm. like that we have the most information about it. I don't know. Still super scared about them and was very uncomfortable going to sleep with this story in my head. Okay. All right. Hey, Dan and Lindsay, longtime fan here. And I'm excited to share a story with you that happened not too far from you guys. This story takes place about 
30 years ago in the Bob Marshall Wilderness Area outside of Lincoln, Montana. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I was not there for this story as I wasn't even born yet, but this story is like folklore to my family. My grandfather, some family friends, my dad, and all his siblings took a one-day camping trip into the wilderness area, a common and normal thing for my family to do, as they had a cabin on Sealy Lake and liked to go out for camping trips when they could. As I've been told before, everything was normal that night. As my grandfather got into bed, he heard the dogs going crazy. They wouldn't stop barking, so in an attempt to quiet them down, he went to check on them. As he gets out of his tent, he sees this insanely bright light at their campsite. Thinking it must be the park ranger and the root cause of the dog's barking, he heads towards the ranger's car to see what's going on. Maybe there's a bear near the campsite, or maybe they left some trash out. My grandfather isn't sure why the park ranger would be there so late at night. As it turns out, it wasn't a park ranger at all. As soon as my grandfather approaches the light, it was like he was transported to a different place. Suddenly, he was in this bright, white, sterile room. Then it felt like the room started to move, like it was flying. He was freaking the fuck out. He's looking around, but it's so bright, he can't see anything. And as he gathers his senses a little, he starts to realize he isn't alone. Around him are the outlines of people or things, but again... It's so bright, all he could see were the vague shapes of what he thought were people surrounding him while he squints through half-shut eyes. He started to plead with these people or things, telling them that they had to take him back. He was yelling, saying he has kids and a wife who need him, and that whatever crazy thing he was a part of now, they needed to return him. And so they do. No questions asked. No words were said. The next day, my grandfather woke up in his tent, thinking... Wow, what a weird dream I had. He went through his day as if nothing happened. In his mind, nothing had happened, just a bad dream. As they packed up the campsite to head back down the mountain, my grandfather started to tell his friend about this dream. The friend, weirded out by the dream but not too concerned, said, Well, the dogs were barking a lot last night, so maybe that triggered your dream? My grandfather, not totally convinced, went along with it. Finally, after a long hike out, My grandfather, my dad, and his siblings arrived at the cabin where my grandma was waiting for them. Not one for camping, my grandma had decided to stay behind. My grandma could tell something was up with my grandfather, though when she questioned him, he told her the story. This bizarre look washes over her face. My grandfather, now stressed out even more, watched as she grabbed the newspaper from that morning and throws it down in front of him. On the paper's front page, it read, UFO spotted above Bob Marshall Wilderness area last night. I try to take these stories with a grain of salt, but knowing my grandfather, I have a hard time believing he would lie about this. This was a man who was a World War II veteran, ran a business, and was as utterly no-nonsense as they come. Not to mention, Montana is well known for its UFO sightings. So I have to believe something happened that night. Stay spooky, Will. Thanks, Will. The newspaper detail sells that story. I know. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, otherwise I would think just a dream. Totally. Yeah. You would go through the rest of your life thinking like, oh, God, what did I have? What did I have to eat that night? I had too (laughs) many beers. Like, whatever. If that happened to me without the newspaper, yeah, I for sure, like you said, 
think it's a dream. With the newspaper, I for sure think I was abducted. 1,000%. It wouldn't be a doubt in my mind. And I love that it's like this older gentleman who has like lived through some shit. You know, mm. he's not... Uh, he doesn't He doesn't need a, a new cool story, doesn't sound like. No, he's got them all. He's coming back from World War II and likely saw combat, all that. Right, you he's know, got like stories the, he doesn't want to tell. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't need a cool alien... And just that whole like no-nonsense detail... And he's doing fine in life. He, he doesn't sound doesn't sound like he was desperate for attention. Mm-mm. And it doesn't that, sound like he did anything with it other than tell his wife. Doesn't sound like there's probably any other stories. This is like his story mm-hmm. of this kind. I love that it's family folklore. It's like, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. That should be family folklore. You should be telling that every Halloween, every yeah. Christmas, every Thanksgiving, every Easter, every get together. Like that story never dies. If if yeah if my if my grandpa like my oh grandpa my wore, god my my other grandpa was a little would be more I don't know that I would eccentric believe him. <laughs> just very um he was a, like an apoc like a doomsday preacher basically yeah and it's like okay well you're gonna you're looking for things you're looking yeah. for signs yeah my grandpa Ward not uh, religious not even I, the, to my knowledge whatever like spiritual like him and his father in law my great grandpa John both like no nonsense. Uh, yeah, just no bullshit guys. Yeah. No stories like that of any kind. And if one of them had a story of the paranormal, I would believe it. 100%. Because they just, you know, in my, to my knowledge, never made up anything, never exaggerated. If anything, played down stuff. I'm just laughing in my head because I'm thinking about like the one super funny like story that I know about your grandfather about planting marijuana in someone oh, else's yeah, garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, that's that's exactly how your grandfather was. Like real chill, whatever. I mean, he might play a joke on somebody oh, yeah. and he might tease or whatever. Oh, yeah, you know, like Yeah, loved to be sarcastic. I mean, yep. I was his girlfriend until the day he died. Like, You're right. you know what I mean? He's a silly guy. But when it came to things that mattered, Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, and when it came to stories, like he wasn't a gunboat tail, you know, person wasn't like, you know, the fish didn't get bigger. Right. You know, the was deer it like his the, brother? Nah, the deer didn't get more antler, you know, like uh, more points on its antlers. You know, it's just like, it, the story was what it was. Yeah. And uh, yeah, never to my life, exaggerated something. And if this guy is like my, that guy, yeah, I'd believe it for sure. For sure. And, and there's so, yeah, there's so many, that's what I love about like the fan submission stories. Cause there's, so many stories out there, you know, by people trying to be authors, by people mm-hmm. trying to, you know, launch some kind of some kind of career angle along with the story. There's plenty right, of those. Right. There's things that get adapted into movies, all these things. Sure, and that's all fine and well. All, all fine, and those could be real too. Just because you have a story and you're trying to do something with it doesn't mean it's not real. But for every one of those stories, my guess is there are tens of thousands of other stories like this. Yeah. Where if, you know, if um, Will had not listened to this podcast, might not have ever shared it mm-hmm. with a podcast, and it would just stay in family lore. And, right. and I mean, there's just, I mean, I, I, it makes me think of an old uh, uh, history teacher I had in high school, Bob Zimmerman. Good guy. He was our, he was our college counselor. And I, I don't know if I've ever told this here or not. Maybe I have. But just one day in class, I don't even know how the hell it came up. Oh, I think it was during hunting season. Mm-hmm. And kids are getting excused from class to go hunting. Mm-hmm. And kids are leaving early or whatever like that in the town I grew up in to go hunting. And and he just shared this story about, and it was the only story, to my knowledge, that he had like this. And I knew his wife and his daughter, and none of them seemed like storytellers. Yeah. And he just said that he was 
hunting on this mountain around Riggins and the in the mountains around there, even if you go much further, they're heavily wooded, but there's a lot of like bare steep mountains. So your line of sight, you can go, you can see a long way mm-hmm. down the hill and there's a lot of old like mining homesteads and things and old ranching homesteads. So there'll be this, like just a, a long slope with maybe a little shack on it and nothing around. Yeah, sounds right. And he said that clear as day, he wasn't drinking, he wasn't anything. Oh my God. He saw this large humanoid figure <gasps> that he at first thought was a guy walk across the hillside holy shit and for scale this thing stood next to like went right up to that little shack and then and then kept on moving and left and when it was completely gone he didn't have a scope on his rifle so he couldn't get like a close-up but he could see far you know with his naked eye enough like oh man this thing's standing right by the shack and its head is above the roof holy crap so he walked down to where that roof was he said that thing had to be at least nine feet tall oh my god like just massive and and he's like, and he was laughing as he's telling the story. He goes, I, you can think I'm crazy. He goes, I would think I was crazy if I heard the story, but I think I saw some kind of Sasquatch. Holy cow. I wonder <laughs> like, uh, in your hometown, if there's yeah. a lot of folklore stories that get passed around, you know, and there could be, I feel like again, with like, Will, there, there could be so many mm-hmm. that like the, the kind of town I grew up in is like people I think would be mostly embarrassed yep. to share share stories like that. that they're going to be mocked. I know, but now I want to go down there and interview some people. Uh, yeah, I, I bet if you got somebody off the record, mm-hmm. even don't use my name, mm-hmm. if they felt comfortable with you, have some stories. Okay, let's call the Wilsons and the Buchanans. One, those are like families that have been there forever. Let's like find out. I love the Wilsons, but Rocky is the storyteller. Oh, he has some. He would have, but maybe a son. But maybe maybe yeah. his wife. Maybe maybe yeah. Dave Buchanan's probably got stories he's, too. He's, yeah, and he'd be he, Dave Buchanan be a guy. Like yeah, again, if I he told me a paranormal story, I would I would believe it because he doesn't need more stories. He has people telling stories <laughs> for him about oh all the ass whoopings he's delivered and other crazy. Even things Even I done. know Dave Buchanan stories, and I <laughs> yeah. the first time I meet this guy, we're walking down like Dan's from this tiny tiny four hundred person town, and we're like walking down the street mm-hmm. and this giant human local legend leans over like a busted fence covered in soot i can only see his eyes He's like hey danny and i'm like the <laughs> fuck is that well, huh? it's not it's just dave buchanan bare paws for oh hands my god and such a sweet man yeah 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 <laughs> but yeah oh my god how cool would it be like just as a concept to just go to small towns like that mm-hmm. doing paranormal interviews not even investigations yeah. because it's it's sort of like this, well, and people, but then yeah, and people have done that. You, you, you get into the Amazon, whatever. Not necessarily my default Amazon, but there are plenty of other online retailers or like bookstores, regional bookstores, and you go to the folklore section. Yeah, and, and you can find the right bookstore. And there are those little known books that someone did as a passion project. Yeah, where they just collected folklore from their area. And I'm sure every country in the world has all these, you know, like True. little pockets, you know. And um, there's no shortage of stories. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. How come our books aren't in our local bookstore? Because the whole thing. I know. I tried. They were not interested. Yeah, just uh, too, so much work for so little reward. Yeah, for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. All right. Well, do you want to do some shout outs? I do. Or do you want me to go first? I'll, I'll start. Okay, go for it. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. And we are so thankful for people who send in stories, support us in any form. Very fortunate. Uh, Lauren Oman or Oman. Uh, Aspen Vin Gorski, Dylan J. Johnson, uh, Trina Seplina Toma- Tomasini. It's, to- all, it's a lot of hard names this week, I got to tell you. Kyle Potter. Nailed th- it. Th- thanks for the softball there. Thanks for the easy lob. <laughs> Chunky Funky Beach. <laughs> <laughs> Raymond. Laura uh, Laura Nothdurft. Mm. S- Sydney Zwelly. 
Tracy Hilton, Lynette Joseph, Tiffany uh, De Herrera, Courtney Rowland, David Mucky, Aveline Ramirez, Caleb White, Andrew Hardy, Nancy Flores, Olivia Rowlandson, Kayla Tweedy, Daddy Swamp Monster, <laughs> Morgan M, Pat the Prostate <laughs> My God. Pat the Prostate Punisher. Uh-huh. All right. Chris Wrangle and Trevor Ware. I swear to God, I think some people are just like, they want to get you. Like, oh, sure. Can I get Dan to laugh? Yeah. All right. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for their support on Patreon. Andrew Plants, Josu Lopez, Cheryl Weiser, Birdie Thoos. Like, I think I'm saying that right. Thoos, T-H-O-O-S. Thoos, Thoos. Thos, 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 yeah, I don't know. Thos, probably. But our niece we call Birdie, and so I just like, I love it, Birdie. Like, I really hope that's your true (laughs) name. Uh, Joel Vargas, Tamazan Johnson, Linda Tuttle, Mackenzie Barrett, Katie Bearer, Kristen Rose, Margaret McCormick, Jay, Ashley Tidwell, Andrew Sevenbergen, Logan Hooks, Two Dogs Humping, followed by (laughs) Moist Man. Morgan Fitch, <laughs> Kelsey Scott, Eli Ward, Casey G, Brandy Tressler, Elizabeth Harvey, Carrie Delaney, and Amanda Carlson. Nice. Nice. All right. Also, we have the following spoopy shout outs to Philip from Rochelle. Happy belated birthday. To Fallon from your mom, Anna. Happy 13th birthday. Also, happy birthday from me, Fallon. We're birthday twins. Mm-hmm. And to Raphael from Mary Lou. Happy belated 40th birthday. To Josh from Red, happy birthday. Thanks for introducing me to all of this terror. You're the best. And to Zach from Brooke, happy 12-year anniversary. Oh, so many nice messages. So many nice messages. And that is our show. Uh, thanks, uh, everyone, for the ratings and reviews lately. Uh, they do help us continue to find new listeners and are very appreciated. So we appreciate seeing new ones. Uh, thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else at info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email Gary Busey by <laughs> looking up Gary Busey online and finding his email address. Uh, thanks to Logan Keith and Tyler C for their work on social media and to Logan again for running badmagicmerch.com thanks to Logan for producing and directing today Zach Cohen for custom soundbed creation Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails and to our book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listeners tales for book number four thanks to Sarah Finch for finding the first story I told this week and Olivia Lee for finding the second Subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want more content and to see pictures that accompany the episodes at Scared to Death Podcast or on TikTok at Scared to Death Podcast for special moments and highlights. And if you don't want to hear any ads, if you want monthly bonus episodes, check out our Patreon, get the entire catalog, ad-free and more. Enjoy your nightmares, creeps and peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, Fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Uh, alien just uh, takeover. Pretty exciting way to go. But possibly very painful. Yeah, but still as you're dying this painful death, you're like, that's fucking alien.
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.